Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome, Series 3, Episode 2. You're still with us. Thank you for joining us. My friend and co-host, Paul. Oh, but I didn't use the word friend inappropriately there, Paul. <laughs> what is going on? Help somebody. Uh, hi, Richard. Yeah, uh, it's me, Paul, and uh, we are here with Drive-By Cinema for Episode 3. Episode 2 of Series 3. As Richard just... I can just confirm what Richard said. There. Already a correction. And the friend bit, too, actually, yeah. And I'm Rick. Hello. Paul. Yeah. It's incredibly hot. It's stiflingly hot, yeah. We're now in a drought. We're entering the 1976 portion of the climate crisis, where all the reservoirs run out. We're okay in the northwest, I think. I was checking the levels at Thirlmere. Is it below 60? No, I don't think it was. It wasn't. Last time I checked, I think we're okay. No host bike ban here, but elsewhere in the country, oh boy. All the yeah, imagine what will happen to tomato plants. Oh dear. Gardens. Gardens around the south of England are creaking and groaning and protesting. They're chapped. Cracked earth st- situation. Terrifying. Well, I hope no one is watering their garden in an effort to preserve. Well, it's perfectly okay if you do it with the grey water. Okay, grey water. It's a, being... it's a fallacy that you can't use soapy water on gardens. It's perfectly okay. Just don't use it on your vegetable patch, or you'll get funny tasting potatoes. <laughs> okay, good advice though. What about well, collecting? If you take baths, that's a lot of garden garden. That's a lot of watering of the garden. Yeah. So, but how do you get it into the garden? Well, the if you read the Daily Mirror like I did, you siphon it. You suck a small portion. Of that soapy water into your mouth, into your <laughs> mouth, down the plastic tube that's hung out your back, you know, the back window. And then it just all flows into the receptacle you put on the floor, on your patio. Oh, can I give you a piece of advice here? And this is DIY advice. Welcome to the DIY advice section of the, the podcast. Have you heard of something called a jiggle siphon? No. It's commonly used in the automotive industry where you want to get fluids out of your car and you don't want to suck them into your mouth, do you? Yeah. So it is a, a piece of tubing, you know, plastic tubing. And at one end, there is a little brass attachment and it's a basic, a simple valve, ball bearing, that's free to slide up and down. And when it's down, it seals the tube. Oh, so, so you, you suck. What you do is you put it into the fluid and you move it up and down in a suggestive way, in all honesty, a way that will draw attention if you are not alone. And it will move water up the column in the tube and the valve will stop it falling back down. And as soon as the water hits the top of the bend in the tube, it will flow down the other side And as by the siphon principle, as long as the end of the tube is below the entrance of the tube the water will be sucked out of, or the fluid will be sucked out of the receptacle, won't it? So you just have to get it to the top of the hill. That's the right. Grand old Duke York. Well, 1976, apparently there are deep, 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 deep mind parallels between today and 1976. One, an unprecedented heat wave. I did. I was talking to some millennial friend who was saying, you don't remember the 1976, you're making that up. And I do remember it because I, I walked do across, remember it cause, I walked cause across I, a reservoir. What? I walked across, you know, a mud-caked 
reservoir that was completely empty. I remember that. Well, I certainly remember those... Um, I certainly remember a lot of signs knocking around uh, saying, you know, save water or whatever. And uh, I think we mentioned it in a previous podcast, there were standpipes in the street at one point. That's right, yeah. You've got that to look forward to, I suppose. Don't know how lucky you had it. Now, these days, now these days, they'll just ask everyone to buy bottled water, won't they? <laughs> Two, change of Prime Minister, 1976. You don't remember that, Paul. Sure. No, I don't, you... but the parallels between now oh, I see. Oh, I see. and then. Yeah, and but... three, of course, having to run to the International Monetary Fund because of Sterling's collapse. Right. Oh, that's so, also very likely. Yeah. Well, we're <laughs> saying one and two have happened, therefore, you know, good or bad luck comes in threes. And there we go. And fourth thing, uh, and this one I don't think it's quite a parallel, maybe last year, uh, 1976 was the happiest time for British people in history. Whereas right. 2021... Despite how, the grumbling, we rated ourselves as pretty happy once we got out of the back end. Of how did they measure the... Oh, just the, surveys. Just a like self-report. survey. Yeah, self-report. Okay. Dubious, isn't it? It's a dubious scientific method. Yeah, dubious. Particularly when you compare how... What they did is they prepared the same questionnaire and like asked Americans and British people to rate, not how happy they feel, but to rate what scores they would give these adjectives in terms of happiness yeah, or goodness, you know, like brilliant, amazing, fabulous. And there's a real disparity in terms of what the words mean to Americans and British people. Oh, interesting. It's really well, it's interesting. Back to language again. Yeah, back to language. Well, yeah, in 1976, only the man of the household was allowed to answer those surveys. <laughs> so I can't you happy, what... love? Uh, she's happy. I... I can't remember where we went on vacation, but we did do but yeah, so seventy six. We might be seeing another seventy six. I just or remember not. getting sunburn a lot. I'm sure you must have had the same thing. Yeah, a... we didn't use sun lotion then, but we put this pink stuff on our skin afterwards. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. it come on my lotion. lotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then at the same time, I used I, that year. I remember drinking lots of cough medicine that tasted durian. Durian? Oh, it said it said it was banana flavor, but it wasn't. It was it was durian flavored, and it was delicious. I certainly remember that medicine was tastier back in the 70s, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Possibly full of really strong chemicals, who knows. Hey, so, yeah. So it is hot, but it's not really that humid, so I don't know if we've got rights to, rights to complain about it. it. You don't think it's humid? Okay. Well, you may be right. I don't I know. Could check. I'm, I'm sweating. It's about 40%, you know, which isn't very sticky. I spent some time in the car just driving around today because it was the coolest place I knew of. And the next thing that you're supposed to do, and I think this is an American thing, isn't it, is go to the cinema. So, perhaps I'm you're wrong. Right, Humidity is 73%. Oh, crikey. That's why it feels so hot. Yeah, the cinema's air-conditioned, isn't it? I mean, in Asia, you go to the mall because it's ice oh, cold yes. in there. Yeah. Not sure we'd find that same situation in a British mall, would we? Well, they do have air conditioning, don't they? Do they? I know Tesco Express is quite a good place to go. Sure. A supermarket. You can stand by the cold cuts, can't you? And just bask in the... All that cold air falling out of the stand-up fridges. It's bliss. In fact, you have to dress differently to go to the supermarket, don't you? But yeah, the car. I mean, the car's the best place, isn't it? Either with the windows down or just with the aircon 
cranks. It's not cheap though, is it anymore? You can't just drive around cheaply. Well, it does take up to 20% of your petrol bill, the aircon, so. But you can't, you're not allowed to drive around without it. Anyway, enough car talk, Paul. What did we watch last week? And are there any corrections? What did we watch last week? Hey, it's an early question. Can can you give me a clue? Give me a clue. Wasn't it Taiwanese? Is that what we did last week? Incantation. Right. Did we do incantation last week? No, we didn't. We did code 46. <laughs> we didn't do incantation. What the hell was code 46? Michael Winterbottom. We didn't mention, Oh, that thing, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, mention yeah. anything about the fact, you know, partly why we're so excited about Michael Winterbottom. But he did go to the same school that we went to, didn't he? Mm. Is that right? That's right, yeah. What about the writer, Frank Cottrell Boyce, we worked with? Is he... I don't know. Am I supposed uh, to know that? I don't. I don't know. I don't. I didn't know Winterbottom went to the same school. And we're doxing ourselves here, aren't we? Because someone will look it up on the Wikipedia. Sounds like uh, wishful thinking. Our richest part. <laughs> yeah, well, one of our many, many listeners might might track us down. Uh, Paul. Yeah. We didn't not enjoy Code Forty Six. We quite liked it. I enjoyed it, uh, but at the same time, I wouldn't watch it again. Fair enough, I'm not asking you to. We watched a completely different movie this week. And after the music, we can talk about it. Find out all about it. Here it comes. The music, not the movie. It is difficult, isn't it? Getting mm-hmm. getting the idea, the basic concept for a movie. Now, where do you come up with ideas for movies? Uh, from books, Independence maybe? Day? Copy Independence Day? From, what, major national events? Even war has been the subject of movies from time to time. Yeah. Periods of time, like westerns. I don't know why western. I don't know why that specific time period in the United States becomes an entire genre of movies. It seems... Slightly over-focused on that bit, doesn't it? Well, I think there was, there, was a, there was a simple reason, wasn't there, originally? Uh, because they could easily film westerns in... In the back lots of Hollywood, <laughs> which was, you know, was, was Scrubland, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's also a big mythology about the US and its founding, isn't it? Yeah. I think that explains it. But another popular subject matter for many movies, it would seem, are toys... Toys and games, let's say. Um, particularly Hasbro toys, it would seem. Yeah, Hasbro have done, over the years, quite a few movie tie-in kind of things. I'm never really sure, if I'm completely honest, whether Hasbro think that they're promoting their toy brand with a Hollywood movie, <laughs> or whether Hollywood think they're getting in on a banker of a toy brand within a Hollywood promotion. I mean... Well, I mean, Transformers is a fabulous franchise, I guess, as a toy. Is it, though? A is it? Cartoon Did, series. Were you a but Transformers fan? But maybe not as a fan? movie. Not maybe movie as not maybe not maybe as a movie franchise. I would suggest. Were you a Transformers fan? I was. You had the toys. You watched the no, cartoon. No, I was poor. You watched the cartoon. Watched the cartoon along with obviously He Man. Okay. Uh, along Power Rangers, although I was too old for it by the time it got through. And those cats, Thundercats. I was really into Thundercats. Those cats. 
as, as a teenager, and I just was too old for all this. But you know, you watch you watch cartoons as a teenager, don't you? Because there wasn't really sort of any sort of sweary, jokey teenage cartoons around at the time, was there? Now, the Transformers cartoon, famously, of course, with a movie connection here, Orson Welles voiced Optimus Prime, didn't he? Or was it the Galvatron? I think it was Optimus I Prime. I don't know that, but I, I'm, I'm ready to believe you. In his last major role. Amazing. Now, amazingly, I watched most of this movie without realising it was referencing the Hasbro game, which I'm sure we've all played, Battleships. Because the movie we're watching is Battleships, 2012. It doesn't amaze me, Paul, because it. <laughs> First of all, the game has a very thin premise of or storyline of any kind. It doesn't really have one, is it? It's like it'd be like. <laughs> well, it's 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 like Minesweeper before Microsoft invented Minesweeper for 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 Office. If people still play Mine, Minesweeper, funny you should say that because I was going to say that. Way back when, in the early days of the internet, I think before YouTube, but it may have been very early in, in YouTube's days, I remember seeing a skit, a parody video of Minesweeper the movie. It was a trailer for a Minesweeper the movie game where you know had all these like bomb disposal expert guys running out and there was a grid laid out on the ground and they were putting little flags in the grid. Oh, With all, all this, you know, crazy pathos about them, you know, nearly dying and being one day from retirement and stuff. <laughs> well, before we get to the movie, uh, one of the reviews I was reading uh, really praised. It didn't like the movie that this movie we're about to watch, but it it did like the fact they jumped through hoops to create create a scenario where they could mirror the game Battleships. Oh, they in the do movie, it, and well, did you not? Did you not clock it at that point? Did you not? Go, that's oh, when I clocked on. it. I was like, wait a minute, this is like battleships, okay. Uh, and I guess we'll talk about it later. But to <laughs> roughly surmise, instead of having like a navy, they had to have like the the Pacific Rim, the yearly Pacific Rim naval meetup between countries. Rimpack, Rimpack. Thank you. Yeah. So they had several battleships together. And then they had to engineer a situation where water buoys, or boys, as we might say in this country, were kind of like <laughs> location markers. And they just happened to have lots and lots of weather buoys in the water because the Japanese self-defense force, the Navy side of it, had put those in as a clever way of detecting battleships, which I guess we'll get into because it's pivotal Hang to on. the storyline. Hang on, but you won't say Riesling, but you will say buoys. <laughs> What's no, that about? Well, they said buoys. They said buoys in the, in the movie. So, so there we go. Not many people like this film. It's fair to say it didn't receive. No, great. It ratings. didn't. Except for people that watch it on Google. Maybe they're a different demographic. Really? Is that? Is yeah. That I mean, Rotten Tomatoes fairly terrible. Both audience and reviewers. Metacritic pretty bad. Down at forty percent. But Google. Google viewership, 82% people like this movie. Hey, so well, i got to tell you something. I'm one I of gotta, them, I have to tell you. before. I am discuss. one of them. I'm one of them. I really I, enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I thought this was great. Yeah. I think this is very harshly done by this film. Uh, I mean, it didn't do well in the box office, did it? We'll come to that later. Listen, mm. we have to explain a little bit about the plot oh, God. that they fabricated. <laughs> Imagine being a writer, being given... Being given 
the game battleship <laughs> <laughs> to make a movie out of it. I'll tell you, his his it problem number belief, one doesn't it? His problem number one: battleship is a two-player game. It's a um, adversarial game. One player is trying to blow up the ships of the other player. But Hasbro is a global tie brand, so you can't you can't have you know the US blowing up the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor, can you? Because the Japanese market wouldn't like that, nor would many of the Asian market, perhaps. <laughs> Similarly, you can't have a, you know, the British versus the Germans, you know. Yeah. So you you cannot have real-world countries fighting it out. So what do you do, Paul? What do you do? <laughs> well, you have aliens instead, aliens. obviously. Part of the ba- always been part of the battleship per board game experience, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Yeah. So this starts, this movie starts in 2005 when they begin communicating with exoplanets. So they've discovered exoplanets, as we have, of course. We've spotted planets around other stars, which is an amazing scientific achievement. Briefly, what do you mean by exoplanet? Well, exoplanet just means a planet around a star oh. other than the sun. Some are worth considering, others aren't less worth considering. Yes, some planets and some star systems presumably are uninhabitable. Uh, but consequently, we would want to focus our efforts on com- trying to communicate, if we want to, with planets that we've identified that plausibly could be habitable. So not too hot and of the right size and not orbiting some crazy binary star system that would probably throw everyone's day out. So so there we go. The idea is, and it's an idea that has been mooted, and I'm not sure whether anyone's done anything about it, but you beam a signal out toward these planets. The, the thing about that is, though, first of all, it's not totally obvious that you need to beam a signal directly. Because we're already signal, you know, sending radio signals out, aren't they? They're just spreading mm-hmm. out from every broadcast we've ever done. It's just spreading out. But I think, I think it is fair to say that owing to the inverse square law, they are going to eventually sort of peter out or become indistinguishable from noise. So if you direct a signal, like a laser beam for radio waves, at a particular place, then you've got a much better chance of getting the signal through. So that's fair enough. Yeah. More of a question, though, is should we do it? If we think there might be an alien civilization out there, should we send a signal? What, what do you think? Well, this seems to be a cautionary tale telling us not to do that. On one level, that's exactly what this is. Yes. <laughs> I mean, for me, I, I think we sent out, we sent out like visual images, haven't we? Of Adam and Eve and that kind of thing. And oh, that, that was bloke, on the Voyager. That bloke who used to be on the world that started World in Action. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Leonardo's what's it? Leonardo's is it Adam? I don't know who it is. Okay. You know, and for me, that's that's problematic because why would they recognise? Why would aliens recognise those things as being any form central to their world? Well, they wouldn't, would they? No, they'd have no idea what it was. But then also Morse code. I mean, why are they going to break our Morse code? I mean, why? How? How would they do that? And then, you know, it's like we only we only broke Egyptian hieroglyphics because of the Rosetta Stone. There's a direct translation right beneath it. And then it took years, you know what I mean? So without a reference point, I don't see how meaningful communication is It's worthwhile sending. It's, it's like the cream on the cake, isn't it? However, I think, you know, if we send communication out, there's obviously 
if you like, non-natural radio yeah. waves, yeah. then yeah, if there's alien life forms, of course, I think they'd recognise that as a sign of life. I don't know, that makes sense. Yeah. If there's advanced intelligent alien life forms. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. It, it, we can't expect them to get the semantic meaning mm. out of a communication, but I think Morse code, for instance, would be obvious that it was a signal, not man-made, uh, not, uh, not a, a natural, natural phenomenon. Yeah. But it doesn't, in a sense, from what you're describing, it doesn't matter how we encode a message, does it? Because it's all equally gobbledygook to them. And if they do have some amazing way of decoding it, it's just like it's. Be- it doesn't matter what encryption you put on it, they'll be able to decode it. If, if they Precisely, could- yeah. 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 So a bigger scientific problem with this, though, is the round-trip travel time. <laughs> because... I mean, well, they come. They come from Planet G. These aliens, but we're not really told where Planet G is. Oh, I thought I heard them say Glees or Glees. They did, but where is that? Do you know? Yeah, it's a real star system. It's a real star system, and it. I I think it does have. I think it is a sort of very sun-like star, and I don't know. But how far away is Betelgeuse? Betelgeuse is already what forty light years away. But Betelgeuse is a a red giant, and it's it's really big, and I don't think it would be suitable. I don't oh, think are you be. saying there are star systems nearer than Betelgeuse? I thought that was like our nearest next neighbour kind of thing. Nearest one is Proxima Centauri, right? Right. Wh- which was... Uh, we've we've done a movie that's based on going there. I think the Chinese It's one. a good few light years, isn't it? It's light years away, yeah. Glies is about 20 light years away. Is that all? Okay. But still... Well, that's feasible. Sure. But it would have taken 20 years... For the, for the message to get, to get there. back, yeah. Uh, so that's that'll be twenty twenty five minimum, and then the aliens coming back would take another twenty five years to get back. Yeah, minimum, unless they have some kind of warp technology. Who knows? So just but, just to jump in here, the whole premise of the movie is okay. So we've got aliens arriving. I guess we'll talk about it in a second. Uh, their comm systems damaged, so they try and take over the radio telescope in Hawaii. Well, uh, the comm system like is that. damaged because. When five alien vessels fly in, because I think five is the number of ships that you play with in battleships, probably. That is right, yeah. When, they, when the five ships fly oh, in, God. on the way... They really worked hard for this one, didn't they? <laughs> on the way, one of them hits a satellite in orbit. You know, oh, you just would, wouldn't you? They don't have lights yeah, on them, do they? That's right. And it crashes. It crashes, actually, in Hong Kong. Causes terrible damage in Hong Kong. Bank of China building, yeah. yeah. Otherwise known as a meat cleaver. Yeah, and so that ship that crashed was the alien's special communication ship that we're going to send a message back home with. To bring so, further, if if this was the right planet for them to take over, presumably, as it later transpires, uh, to you know send troops in and take over the planet fully, okay? And as Richard points out, it would take them 50 years to do that. <laughs> and yet we were rushing to stop them sending that signal, weren't we? <laughs> because it was like, oh, there's going to be aliens on the horizon tomorrow if we don't do that yeah but listen we've got to start with our hero in fact our hero uh heroes which are two brothers and two brothers whose names i've forgotten wait you've forgotten their names paul yeah i know one of them's played by alexander skarsgård the the older brother yeah and and the younger one is played by taylor kitch taylor Taylor kitch he plays alex alex isn't it hopper and his Alex brother, Hopper. his brother is um, amazingly called Stonehopper. 
Still <laughs> Hopper, yeah. Okay, played by somebody's quote, real name is Alexander. Doesn't play Alex. Okay. Yeah. Alexander Skarsgård, who was a big hit in lots of things, really. And, and this one turned out to be a box office bomb and a flop, but hasn't really affected his career that much, I don't think. So, yeah, and uh, they're kind of chalk and cheese, aren't they? Uh, you know, uh, Stone, the older brother, is as old as brothers are. You know, he's, he's made his way in the military. He's already a commander at a young age of what? I don't know, 28, 29, maybe. Uh, which seems somewhat not very likely, but he must be a high flyer. Uh, where his his younger brother, Alex, he, Alex Hopper, is a bit of a wastrel, isn't he? Okay, he's not really getting his life together. He's sleeping on his brother's couch. He's got sixty five dollars to his name, and his car doesn't work. Terrible. And to illustrate what what an idiot he is, the start of the movie, he wants to get off with the love interest, uh, who is uh, Sam. Uh-huh. Is played by Brooklyn Decker. <laughs> She's a very attractive woman. Understandable, he does want to get to know her better. But he he does it by overhearing that she wants a chicken burrito at this scuzzy bar that they go in. Yeah, and the bartender's not having it. He says the kitchen's closed and he closes the microwave door. It's quite funny, really. <laughs> so he takes it upon himself to. To pop across to the convenience store, like the Seven Eleven or wherever it's supposed. The to Japanese be. lady's closing up. She's saying, "Anyway, it's too late for a chicken burrito. She's too many complex right. carbs. Can, yeah, you yeah. can't be digesting that at that time of night." Which is quite funny too. I, and I thought, wait a minute, I signed up for like a hard metal, clangy, <laughs> CGI Independence Day style kind of escapade into cinematic cliche. What's this? Oh, a rom com? What's this rom com doing here? You know. <laughs> And then he doesn't stop there, does he? He clambers over a wall well, this... and tries to break into a chicken burrito factory. Well, no, he tries to break oh. into the convenience store. This oh, is right. okay. this is based on a famous YouTube clip, isn't it, that went around the internet about this time, of a hapless robber who breaks into a convenience store in exactly the same way. They really replicated the detail, uh... the security cam footage in the shop of someone falling through the suspended ceiling. You know, with a bunch of insulation and stuff falling down. And a guy going and stealing stuff, getting stepladders, climbing back up, and then falling down again, hilariously, on camera, in like, you know, an America's Dumbest Criminals kind of movie, video clip thing. They just replicate it all. And it's he like- comes out clutching the burrito, and the, the, as, as he's handing it over to, to his uh, damsel in distress, he gets tasered, and we cut to present day. Sorry, Richard. Don't tease me, bro. I liked all that. You know, I liked all that. But we got no montage, did we? We cut to six years later. You're right. They did without montage. We don't. We, we get a montage later, I think. But but we'll come to that. Every film has a montage. That's my that's one of my theses about cinema, Paul. I don't know whether we haven't really been checking in on that. But I think every film Not recently, has a montage. No. So no time lapse, no montage. He's just now a lieutenant. Well, his brother, his brother has told him. Has delivered him an ultimatum, yeah. yeah. Got to pull his socks up. He's going to join the Navy. He's going to enlist. And, you know, that it, that's it. Or he's going to... Now, when, when the reviewers say this is... this, The ones that don't like it say this is full of formulaic cliches, okay? One of the things is his love interest, the girl he met at the bar, just <laughs> happens to be his brother's boss and the Admiral of the Navy. Played by... The man who lends Dennis, so much gravi- gravitas. Liam, Liam Neeson, wasn't Liam it? Liam Neeson, yeah. Imagine that in this film. Uh, playing a very stern Admiral of the Fleet. <laughs> it's tremendous. So, 
So, I was kind of groaning at that, but I quite enjoyed it, you know. I quite enjoyed it. It's, it kind of, it's yeah, pure rom-com shit, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now he's got to impress the Admiral. <laughs> so, it's set it up with kind of these Top Gun-esque and Independence Day-esque and all kinds. Of, they, threw, they threw everything into the washing machine here. It's yeah. pure Top Gun uh, as well. Absolutely. Because yeah. now, now he's in the Navy and the next scene is Rimpack. So this is the big naval exercise where all Pacific fleets, different nations, are sending their naval crews. The Japanese, obviously, <laughs> strongly represented. So the US. They're having a, a soccer competition. Yeah, that's how we join in, yeah. And, it, you know, again, this is... Um, it's like part of the... Trying to hype soccer in America, isn't it? It feels like it's part of this... It, it's almost like Hasbro, again, global Hasbro, trying to promote their brand again in some kind of way. Ah, right. Uh, and so... Obviously, not, the US not necessarily king of the soccer field. Uh, and there's this sequence where um, our hero gets kicked in the head. And uh, he, he gets uh, a penalty, as, gets a result, a penalty yeah. as a result. That's right. And it's, it's a Japanese officer who's kicked him. Uh, so, in the end... Uh, but, he, but amusingly, he skies the penalty, doesn't he? Kicked it totally over the bar. Well, he's concussed. Oh... Oh, is that right? I suppose. Yeah, yeah he'd have, he'd be taken off the. Uh, you'd think he'd be taken off the, uh, the the pitch, wouldn't you? At that point, ought to be. So, okay. well, that's shown his tenacious nature because uh, the admiral says, you know, you're a poor leader. You have terrible decision decision uh, making skills, and uh, you know you lack character. Uh, whereas we're supposed to see him as. This renegade hero kind, you know, jumping through, uh, jumping through the back doors of convenience stores and and uh, squaring up to Japanese Japanese commanders. Uh, so yeah, so it's set up as a classic kind of, you know, uh, run the gauntlet. Truth will be revealed about this man's character. He's proving himself in this movie, isn't it? I think it's fair though. We should say that dressing down only comes after. It's not. It's not because of the football. It's no, because it's not. he beats the Japanese officer up in the in the head later on, <laughs> and the head is naval for toilet. By the way, I don't know whether you knew that. Ah, I didn't know that. You know, well, that's what it's called, Paul. If you're on, if you ever find yourself on a navy vessel and you want the toilet, you should ask for the head. Don't ask forehead. I think that might get a different. I learnt the term portside anchor in this movie because there's a fabulous kind of handbrake turn they do with the ship at the end, but we'll come to that later. <laughs> because of portside anchor. So, at this point, the aliens arrive. We also see, they do. while this is happening, we also see that Sam, his, who is now his girlfriend, because he did yeah. get her a chicken burrito after all, she's a physical therapist treating yeah. dis- disabled veterans in yeah. the kind of rehabilitation sort of centre. It's one thing that you don't see in Top Gun. I've not seen the new Top Gun. But in the old Top Gun, I don't remember them, you know, show- they, I guess they have crew die, don't they? They have pilots and stuff dying mm. so they are showing the good and the bad side but quite a lot of this movie it's fair to say is like navy recruitment stuff isn't it it is i, I mean two minds about whether it is navy recruitment or not but we'll get onto that i guess towards the end but yeah i can see how you say it's navy recruitment definitely yeah but they do show they do show these people with you know who've lost their legs and stuff including one of the one of the guys who's going to become one of the heroes, um, I think, is 
played by Gregory Gadsden in this rehabilitation centre. And they go hiking up. And this is all, all taking place, by the way, in Hawaii. Yeah. Now, well done, location scouts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well this was going to be Sydney, though, in Australia. That's where they were going to film it. I don't know whether it was going to be set in Sydney, if you like. But does does Sydney have a large radio telescope or communications tower to the universe? Because Hawaii definitely does do. Oh, they do. When I was thinking about taking my physics career again uh, in about two thousand and three, uh, I really fancied going to learn to surf and study <laughs> physics in Hawaii. Oh man! And this I mean, this is before American colleges got expensive, uh, and the state Hawaiian you know the, the state universities in Hawaii you could get on there for like six thousand dollars a year, and the glor- glorious glorious sort of boardrooms uh, were like Hawaiian sixties concrete. Just amazing, you know, just set out in beautiful, beautiful grounds. You can just imagine how, how nice it would have been out there. I would love to yeah. go to Hawaii. I'd love to go to Oahu particularly. Um, but it's a very, very long way for us, isn't it? It's almost, yeah, diametrically opposite, isn't it? I think it's like 18,000 kilometres or something like that. Maybe not quite that far. It'd be a hell of a journey, yeah. yeah and I'm, therefore, I'm presuming very expensive. But I'd really like to do I'm it. really bad on your ankles. What? What is? Swollen ankles, yeah. Thrombosis. What, from long flights? Yeah. Well, it's not like we haven't done plenty of long-haul flights, Paul. I've done too many. Always do your ankle rotations. Oh, really? Always, yeah. yeah. You have any other advice for long hauls? Well, if you're tall like me, then you've got to go premium economy. You just cannot sit in those bucket seats uh, for 16 or 18 hours if you're more than six foot. You will literally give yourself blood clots. Is it significantly more legroom in premium economy? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's travel advice from Paul. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are we? We've got so much. I've got so much to say about this movie, Richard. I know. I know. It's a, it's absolutely jam packed with good stuff. So guess what? She's helping uh, legless uh, legless uh, <laughs> military veterans to rehabilitate. And I got something about Mary about this bit. You know, she's thrown all kinds of influences in here. You know. Uh, and, what, did uh, you think she was going to get off with him? Maybe. Uh, but the point is, uh, the dialogue, there's, if there's one criticism that does stand from all the reviews, is that the dialogue here is really turgid, in particular Rihanna's, because I guess they didn't want to give her anything too challenging. But it is really turgid di- dialogue. Uh, and the jokes are a little bit uh, rough-edged. So at some point, the scientist who's in Hawaii, in the Hawaiian sort of communication center with the universe, who's wears, who wears glasses and shakes a lot and gets nervous and is a bit of a nerd, uh, he bumps oh, into yeah. he bumps into the legless military veteran and says, "Oh my God, it's a cyborg! It's one of the aliens!" Kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you have to laugh at how bad the joke is, but as a joke itself, it's pretty insensitive and just just not that funny, you know. But there weren't many jokes. That was one of them. Mm. Uh, a lot of the jokes were about the rambunctious character uh, of our incorrigible hero, Alex. Uh, and that was it, really. The, I mean, the first 10 minutes, that funny bit kind of, it disappeared, didn't it? And we got a hard edged, clanky metal kind of hunt for Red October, Independence Day, epic, continuous, <laughs> linear action movie, which is no problem. I just thought, again, the, the disjunct between the first section and the rest of the movie was quite, was quite stark, really. 
Listen. So, Richard, we're in Hawaii. She's rehabilitating soldiers up a, up a mountain. And, uh, and, and aliens are arriving. And one of the ships crashes in Hong Kong. Now... But the rest of them kind of chose to go towards Hawaii. So they know something about Hawaii, and they know they want to go there. Well, it's probably where, it's where the signal came from, right? Yeah. They broadcast the signal by... Uh, and this is a thing, actually, we should actually talk about. 50 one, years ago. They broadcast the signal 50 years ago, presumably, as you point out. 2005, apparently. But they broadcast the signal by sending it up to a satellite. They call it Landsat or something. And then using the satellite to amplify the signal. And I couldn't really work out why, if you wanted to send a signal a long way, a good In idea space. would be to get a satellite to amplify the signal. Because really, you'd want something... Plugged into the mains down here, wouldn't you? Because a satellite is limited by the energy it can obtain through its solar panels. Yeah. Whereas down here, we can put almost unlimited quantities of energy into, you know, super laser beam or something. I'm, I'm guessing the makers of this movie thought that radio waves can't travel through air, Richard. Perhaps that's so. Yeah. Satellites are a kind of magic, aren't they, to some people? But what I'm saying is, if they're arriving now, then Weasel must have sent that signal 50 years ago or thereabouts, because it took 20 years to get to their planet and 20 years for them <laughs> to arrive here. Well, that's right. On on schedule, this should be happening wow. in 2050. Yeah. Oh, this should be happening in 2050 with you, okay. But I don't think it is. Oh. I think it, they, they think that somehow the aliens have picked it up quickly. Maybe they think and then you, for the aliens, to, harder, for, for aliens the, to send reinforcements would take 2090 or 2100 or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, fire. We get various scenes through the movie where the scientists are advising everyone. There's a point here where the Chinese apparently have investigated the chunks of spaceship that fell on Hong Kong. And they've decided ah. that this is an alien vessel because the material in it is not in the periodic table. There is some Lorentium. That's the only one they found. That's the only kind of material they found that's actually part of our world. See, again, you know, this is a this is a non scientist's idea, isn't it, of how science works? This idea that there could be stuff that's not in the periodic table. Well, we know for a fact that anything that's on the periodic table is highly unstable. Sure, but I mean, to say that that's not in the periodic table is a bit odd, really, isn't it? Oh, I yes, mean, that is odd. I mean, by I mean, definition, if, it, if it's a material, it's going to be in the periodic table. That's right. Table, yeah. I mean, okay, so we don't write, we don't, we don't keep on it's writing. It's not an unknown, it. it's not an unknown periodic table or, a, you know, or established periodic table. That is, I think, what they meant. The key thing about the periodic table is it's just counting, right? It's atomic number <laughs> one, two, three, four. Even if you go up to 400, you know, it, it's not that it wouldn't have a place in the periodic table. <laughs> it would a, have a very definite place. Exactly. Yeah. It's just we haven't bothered to write the rest of them all the way up to there because it seems pointless, mostly. It could be a compound we've never seen before. Ah, to it say, could be a compound. It's just a chemical we've never experienced before. No one's ever seen They didn't seen say it. that, though, did they? They talked no, about they the names of elements. Periodic yeah. table, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be like a really nice bit of graphene, you know, yeah. tied in with a little bit of superconductor, you know. Yeah, I mean, with... The, there's a, there's incredible places we could go with the stuff that we know about here on Earth. Yeah, we just yeah. can't combine them at home. Yeah, so that was a little bit amateurish, and it's obvious that they really haven't had any decent science advisors. They've just had some science script writers on there. Yeah. So, the other four ships apparently have landed in the ocean, not far from where the RIMPAC naval exercises are taking place. So the admiral, I mean, seriously, they put up a sort of uh, clear. Oh, dome, not protected not quite, dome. Not quite yet. Not yet. Not quite no. yet. No, because 
if you remember, they're all on the ships and they're looking out and they see something. What the hell is that? And uh, <laughs> and Jesse Plemons, the guy from Breaking Bad, he's in the crew. He, he says eight thousand yards, and I thought the U.S. military used metric, but I I investigated a little bit. I think the U.S. Navy is a little bit loosey goosey and all nautical milesy and stuff. But anyway, yeah. so they steam towards it, and what they decide to do is actually it's actually uh, his stone hopper, isn't it? His his brother. He orders yeah. he orders the other destroyer out there. He says, you know, go, go in a boat and go over to it. So it's his brother who winds up in this boat with on Rihanna. The reconnaissance mission, yeah. With Rihanna. With, with Rihanna on a on a minigun. Woohoo! And they Looking quite sexy, has to be said. Rihanna is fabulous in this film. And they drive over to this alien thing. And uh, Alex Hopper gets out, hops out of his little boat. Yeah. Is it goes, a wreck? Is it a Chinese shipping wreck? No, it's fucking not, obviously. But anyway. It's, it's bad fiberglass, isn't it, as it turns out up close. <laughs> he goes up to it and he touches it. And like, oh, when he gets a shock of his life. That's quite right, literally. he gets like tased again for the second time in the film. And uh, then <laughs> and then a giant, as you say, giant beams shoot up out of the out of the ship. And That's makes, when the protective dome occurs. A dome comes out. And it seems. Can I plot spoil here? Okay, yeah. You, you, you the reason for the dome, it later transpires, is because the aliens are. Well, they, they can't stand any kind of UV exposure, can they? I don't think Light, that's a reason. Generally. No, I think what they do is they dome oh. around the, the Hawaiian Islands to protect the transmitting equipment that they desperately want. Oh. And also, in doing this dome, they've excluded the rest of the Rimpac fleet. There's only three. Uh, only three ships that have got through. Now, that's not in the destroyers. battleship game, is it? Yeah. No, they're destroyers, not battleships. And earlier, Alex explained oh, to a, the difference a child between. on the dockside the difference between a battleship and a destroyer, which was quite interesting. So battleships were the old World War Two kind of pinnacle of naval warfare engineering, weren't they? Huge mm-hmm. ships with massive guns that were capable of taking a real pounding. But the modern approach for naval superiority is a smaller, faster, lighter destroyer that can put out extraordinary firepower. They have cruise missiles and like anti-aircraft protection and stuff. Nothing to do with the Navy, but I just saw the Eurofighter Typhoon fly for the second time this year at Blackpool Air Show, and uh, I watched it take off. Uh, this time, from the nearby Blackpool Airport. Did they have any F-35s? No. Oh, okay. No, uh, but it's takeoff, it's, you know, it's takeoff runway is really short. It takes off in less than half a mile. Well, now, in the dome are three American destroyers. Well, actually, it's two American destroyers, one Japanese destroyer with his mate on board. Mm -hmm. And they're facing off against first this one alien vessel, but then three more surface from underwater. And it's very much like a kaiju movie, isn't it? These are like the giant kind of aliens that have come down. It is, yeah. I thought Jurassic Park as well, kind of, in a certain sort of way. And now a little naval engagement follows where they start trading shots. There's, initially, they fire like a warning shot. I think his brother orders a warning shot to be fired. But then, at some point, things go south and the aliens identify weapons on board and they fire mm-hmm. their super special um, projectile weapons. Which... Just, as in, just as in Terminator, you know, where, where Arnie has his uh, android kind of uh, sort of vis- vision system, 
whatever system they're looking through as aliens or as the computer systems they're, they're looking through as aliens. It's AR, it's kind of got, it? yeah. It's AR, yeah. So it's, it's kind of red for, red for threatening, green for not threatening. And they're quite nice people. If, if you come out green, they don't really touch you. They're not here to, you know, raise our planet. They obviously want it. And they want to, they don't want to destroy anything that's not a threat to them directly. Probably want lovely, to lovely aliens. But you're yes. right though. Sometimes they look at like, at one point they look at a kid and they see his heartbeat. He's playing a baseball game. And a horse too. They leave the horse and the kid alone. But I don't know if you noticed the weaponry that the alien ships use, Paul. Yeah. This is the second check mark in your little spotter's book. Do you notice how they operate? Because they they tumble through the air and then they land in the American and Japanese ships. And uh, they rip them apart. And uh, so, so they land kind of protruding. And then they sink in and explode. And they were oh, the dis- first kind of weapon, yeah. Then they got this kind of gyroscopic. Yeah, let's ball, come to hang on. Spike- Paul, oh, go on. on this one, those yeah. little projectiles was designed to resemble the pegs you put in the board of a battleship game. They were <laughs> well done. Yeah. Well, they've earned their money on this one. I think they can go home uh, and clock <laughs> off early. Well done. Well done. But they're very powerful, aren't they? And they do blow apart. At least two of the uh, destroyers. So ripped asunder. First to go, I think, was Alex. Uh, Alex's brother's dead ship. Everyone on board lost. Total loss. And then the Japanese vessel gets attacked, and I think most of the Japanese crew managed to get off Dying. into the water. Oh no! Oh, okay, and they're sorry. all it's swimming just, around. It, but at this point, Alex is the so commander mad. blames. Well, the commander blames Alex for, for the loss of, loss of the Japanese ship, doesn't he? It's I'm, all not your sure fault. I'm not sure about that, but what happens is Alex is so mad at losing his brother, he sets them on a collision course to ram the alien vessel. He does, yeah. And his like, first officer is saying, oh, there's men in the water there. We've got to go back and rescue those Japanese sailors. Sailors in the water. And eventually he relents, realises that he's not, not doing the right thing in the naval code. And, and he just as he turns, away. you know, the uh, the sensors on the uh, alien vision system turn from red to green. Because so he's, he threat- he's not threatening he, he, It's intelligent, intelligent AI, and he would have got blasted, so it's a good thing he turned away. Now, you mentioned the next weapon type. Because they send out these kind of kinetic flywheel weapons, don't they, that are like... Yeah, some sort of gyroscopic thing. I don't know what's going on there, really. Not very... Yeah, it's not really very battleship, is it? Um, no, but there is a toy that's like that. Well, Beyblades, like Beyblades, they are like Beyblades, yeah. aren't they? They yeah. fire out these spinning, like flywheel, kinetic flywheel weapons, um, hmm. which have AI and stuff in them as well. Uh, and they they send them out to Hawaii to destroy, like the Air Force base and any, anything else that looks like a threat. All the communications takes out all of the cell phone towers and the big motorway. Even freeway bridges, you know. Anything that they see as an infrastructural threat that's not connected to their requirement to get a message home is out, you know. They're, I mean, they're very, very efficient aliens, it has to be said. We amazing, haven't seen them yet. Amazing thing about Oahu, right? It's, you know, not an enormous island, but it does have a really proper freeway interchange thing. Oh yeah, yeah. GDP in 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 the in the in the main islands of uh, Hawaii is some of the highest in the US. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of break now, don't we, to the mountaintop where where things aliens in armor have landed, haven't they? Mm. And they're going to take over the science base. Do we see them in their vehicle? Is it the same vehicle that goes on the water or not? 
or is it some yeah, sort there's, of subsidiary? Yeah, there's kind of like a flying pod. thing that they jump in and they fly all over the island and drop these guys off. It's a very anonymous looking thing, though, isn't it? We see from their transformer-esque metal, metal form, metal-clad form, that they're essentially humanoid. Yeah, yeah, they have like four fingers or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, well, we have four fingers, but I mean, they don't have like a thumb. Well, they do have a thumb. I mean, they have three Someone fingers. Has six fingers, Richard. You could be inclusive here, but you'd chosen not to be. Right? Okay. So, <laughs> uh, where were we? Yeah, we're up a mountain, and uh, our heroine is obviously in distress. Because, like, she comes across the police car that's open fired on the aliens and got and got roasted. Yeah, yeah. That's is where that the, right? that's where the horses come in as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and yeah, the 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 guy uh, that she's with tells her to go and get the keys that were on cop's belt. I didn't realize that initially what it was for, but there's another car that's been left to block the road, so they go back to that with the keys, don't they? And then they can use yeah. the car to drive around. And she also, escapes because the alien is disturbed by the horse. Distracted, yeah. yeah. They've also found an alien on the ship. It's like been washed ashore or they I don't know where they've got it. And they unmask him. And it's like a sort of human face with a porcupine beard. Porcupine beard. Do you know the uh, the man of the deep sea in the, uh, in the Jack Pirate movies? Uh, oh god. Oh you mean the guy played by uh, Bill Nye? The, the box. Wait, I think he's long beard, but then he drowns and he becomes like an octopus man. Yeah. It was like that, but nowhere nearly as impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not particularly convincing aliens, I have to say. No, no. Now, at this point, um, a scientist says that they're looking at an extinction level event. I don't know how he knows that. Given he the, knows. And given the information that he's got available. <laughs> he could have decided a bit fucking earlier, couldn't he? Like... But anyway, yeah, so we know it's critical that we do what we can to stop this communication being sent out into the cosmos. Now, the scientist on the hillside who's escaped from the aliens and uh, runs into Sam and the the guy with um, artificial legs, he... He's got some kind of super mobile phone. He's got like a spectrum analyzer or a signal analyzer. He needed a spectrum analyzer. I'm not sure what he needed it for. It was going to help him fight the aliens. He's got to find a gap in the blanket jamming or the dome thing so that they can get Ah. a signal out. I think that was the idea. It's a little bit handy. Meanwhile, on board the destroyer, the Japanese captain that they picked up. Reveals his critical, <laughs> plot pivotal idea. So they figured out for some reason that the normal radar doesn't work, but he's got a genius idea. He says it's the way they've been. The Japs have been tracking Secretly. the American ships all along. <gasps> they use the the NOAA, the National Oceanographic Survey Society, whatever it is. They the use water buoys, and these are the boys they use to detect tsunamis. You know, they can detect. Yeah. Why, you know, um, swell by detecting the vertical position of the boys. But we could surmise they would also detect large submarines or large, very large naval vessels. So he, they call up on screen this grid of these boys. <laughs> <laughs> Just like in Battleships, the game. And now they can see uh, well these, these little red sim- symbols where there's a swell. It's brilliant. Or, you know, a lot of disturbance occurring. And now what what he's doing is he's following the track. He's predicting where the next one is going to hit. And he's telling Rihanna, who's a weapons officer, where to send the next cruise missile 
you know, A17. Yeah. <laughs> <or whatever. laughs> now, it's a nice try, wasn't it's it? An, it's, it's hokey, isn't it? The critics are commendable. But commendable I enjoy it. It's tense. It's tense. And you, yeah. you see exactly what they're doing, but it's kind of. There cute. are some tense moments. I think, like, when, uh, when she's escaping from the wrecked car, the alien's creeping nearby. Yeah. That was tense, you know. And when the kind of nerdy, respectable scientist has to go back into his observatory or whatever it is, his laboratory, and there's an alien in there, it's tense too. There are some tense moments, definitely. So they managed to blow up two of these battleships using well done. using this amazing uh, technique. And But the called, third one learns. Called triangulation. <laughs> the third one learns, <laughs> and it starts moving in an erratic pattern that they can't predict. So instead... The captain and Alex Hopper, they get on deck with Barrett 50 cal sniper rifles. And oh, well done. I didn't know that. Now they've, they've figured out that the aliens are sensitive to UV light. And they've spotted that all of these alien ships have got these like tinted windows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what they do is they use these rifles they to... They pull off the decal, yeah. They, they pull they, off the decal. They shoot the windows out. <laughs> <laughs> so that the aliens are blinded by the bright... Oh, my God, they can't see what's going on. <laughs> the Hawaiian sun. Would have gotten away if it wasn't these pesky humans, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was a little bit shonky, wasn't it? But well, well spotted, nonetheless. I don't think... In, in the heat uh, and drama of that moment, I don't think I would have spotted that they were UV sensitive and they had tinted windows. But unfortunately, the alien ship, it launches those metal yo-yos. At the, <laughs> the Beyblades. Beyblades, yes. At the John Paul Jones, which is his, his destroyer. <laughs> and it blows the John Paul Jones up. I mean, his crew managed to get off. And Rihanna... Yeah. Rihanna's got, two lifeboats. In this film, Rihanna has excellent cap retention. I don't think she ever <laughs> lost the cap, even when she went overboard. And she lost a Bar- Barbadian accent, didn't she, as well? Which I thought was a shame. <laughs> so... You know, she's been accent cleaned for this for this movie, which I think is reprehensible. But anyway, so they're all there, um, having pulled themselves out of the water. They they say we've got no ships left, but Alex remembers they're in. Oh, wait a minute! They do have. There's one a, ship left. <laughs> it's the USS Missouri decommissioned. The museum by manned by veteran veteran uh, veteran sailors. Yeah, we'd seen them earlier on, hadn't we? There was a ceremony honouring them. Where Liam that Alex to, was late to wearing sunglasses, yeah. Where he was supposed to ask for the general, uh, the admiral's ha- uh, daughter's hand in marriage, but he bottled it partly because that he, was way back in the movie when it was still trying to be funny. But we're back in. We're, we're, I mean, we're full on action here. At but this we, point. Knew, we, we knew we race to get way back then. We knew because they gave all those old vets a clap. We knew they were coming in. They were, they, they were ha- going to have now, to say this gets this gets praised. This gets praised by no less than Stephen Snyder, who's a big reviewer. Uh, said he loved this. He thought this wasn't just you know uh, battle it out to the end. He thought involving the veterans made it an actual third act of the movie. They, that it gave it gave a residual space for 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 the resolution of the movie to happen, which I think is a fair point actually. Uh, they didn't just battle it out; they got somebody else on board. Yeah. And they also show, you know, they take the Missouri out. Now, I, I think I don't think it's something you could really do because you'd need tugs and stuff to get it out of the harbour. But they take the Missouri out with all the old, old, old fellas on board. And, of course, you know, you see all the old technology. It's basically a steam turbine ship, isn't it? So they would have to yeah. fire up the boilers. I think that would have taken hours and hours and hours and hours to get, <laughs> you know, the, all the boilers boiling. 
But um, they get all the boilers fired up. Um, oh, they've been told as well. We've got this. They've been told by the scientists on his super telephone that they've got to blow up the satellite dishes to stop the aliens sending a signal. And uh-huh. they're waiting. They've got I'm until glad you were paying attention. They've got until the Landsat satellite is above the horizon again, which they're going to all firing up. Yeah, to bounce yeah. a signal off. So they've Gosh. got you know a certain amount there's of time a, to do this. There's a countdown happening here, right? Okay, can we cut this bit short because it's just basically a naval battle with a strange and very very capable alien craft, isn't it? They run. They get hit a little bit. Uh, the ginger guy almost gets killed, but doesn't. Rihanna pulls him into, like, you know, some sort of uh, sealed sealed porthole. And they, they pull off the movie. And they run out. They run out of weapons, so they have to go and get the big missile and carry it through <laughs> no, the no. ship. No, well, the first thing that happens is they oh. pull off that maneuver you mentioned, where they drop the anchor. Is that before? They drop the anchor at full steam. He, he turns all his guns to one side, and they all go, that's the wrong way. And then he says, right, now drop the anchor, and they're at full steam. So the anchor catches, and... And we get residual momentum converted into angular momentum, so the ship spins twists around. around. Like, it does like a drift. And the guns are now f- facing Yeah, it's, it's a handbrake drift. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, I'm not sure it would happen that way. Well, but... I, well, I thought it was nonsense, but apparently... Well, you can't drop anchor at 40 miles an hour or 20, 35 knots. Apparently, this is something they used to do in the age of sail, right? Yeah, at eight knots. <laughs> yeah. I, if you did it on um, a sort of warship of that type... People would, you would die. Break it. People would die. <laughs> well, the anchor would break to begin with. Yeah, it almost certainly would. And the other interesting thing about anchors is with with a big ship, a lot of the effect of the anchor is actually the anchor chain. Because the anchor chain, if you think about it, is like heavier than the anchor. Like If you think about all the yeah. chain links, the size of them and how many of them there are, the way an anchor works for a large vessel, you've got at the anchor, yeah, sure, that's digging in a little bit. That's tiny compared to the ship. But you've got probably hundreds or tens of metres of anchor chain, really heavy, lying on the ground. On Dragging the, on the floor. On the, floor. Yeah. the anchor chain is at least as um, important as the anchor itself. But, um, yeah, so they pull off this crazy manoeuvre. It's sort of half-based, in fact. But then... So they've killed the alien ship, but the aliens are still about to send a signal back on the, uh, the main island. So they've got one shot left, one working gun, one shot, and they have to they've carry, got to carry the missile it's through a, the ship. It's a thousand it. pound shell. In fact, in fact, I think it's actually they say a thousand pounds in the film. I think it's fifteen hundred pounds. Four strong geriatrics could carry that. <laughs> like three hundred pounds each or something. Like. So, uh, you know. <laughs> They carry it. been through rehabilitative therapy with his girlfriend. <laughs> they carry it to the gun. And they blow up the uh, the satellite station, and they save and stop a message that would take twenty five years to get there. They save the planet, and uh. Alex gets a medal, and he asks the admiral for his daughter's hand in marriage, and there's a <laughs> bit of witty repartee and. Bonhomme or whatever at the end, and he—it's obvious that he's obviously going to marry her. And there we go. Right. Okay. Can we get to scores? Well, we have to, don't we? 
Yeah. Right, okay. Reviewers didn't like this and they said, oh, well, there's no character development. Oh, the plot arc isn't believable. Well, I mean, if you're going into this movie expecting those things, of course, you're going to be disappointed. I think if you look at it as a bit of fun. It was a box ignore- office disaster, Paul. It was this a disaster. This film cost $200 million. On huge budget back then. In, We're talking in the first week. million these days. It made like six, I think $60 million in the first week. Yeah. Which is terrible. But it came out around the same time as Avengers Assemble, the first one. And also Titanic 3D. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so it was on a sticky wicket. It was on a sticky wicket, yeah. It's a bad well, it's, idea. It's, it's, it's a, let's mm. just say it is a bad idea. <laughs> but they did a lot with it. They recovered it well, yeah. I mean, if you go into the movie expecting to take this seriously, you're going to come out disappointed like the reviewers did. Uh, it is just a lot of romping fun. A lot of Top Gun kind of, uh, you know, kill the baddies, get it's the girl. It's boo-rod Navy propaganda, for sure. I think they just employed that whooping formula no, to make a Paul, movie. They had I, to get the, yeah. the the very expensive help of the US Navy to give ah. them two destroyers and, and an aircraft carrier, briefly. So they had to make it whooping. And get them to get the Missouri out of dry dock, or wherever it is, where it's normally moored. They did that for real. They took the Missouri out, that museum ship yeah. out. The Navy so, were intimately involved. By the way, the, the the I think the Air Force, the Air Force base got wiped out, so the Air Force played no... Except maybe at the very end. No, no, that was... That's the Australians. The Australian. Australians came and saved the day, yeah. yeah. But it yeah, it was definitely Navy propaganda, no question of that. Yeah, I mean, it is nonsense, sure. Is it? And it's not significantly worse than the Marvel movies. I mean, it is worse, sure. No. Well, it is worse. I, I mean, the CGI, can I say, the CGI for the humanoid aliens was not impressive, but I thought the battle, the alien battleships were rendered in a really fabulous kind of electric white, blue light sheen. I just loved the CGI for the alien alien craft. I loved it. I thought I was really impressed with it. I know you weren't. The CGI for the aliens was okay, but it was when they were re- up close. They only did it once. Up close, yeah. When they yeah. were up close, it was clearly like a lot of fun. I thought the craft were quite impressive, though. The, the naval battles weren't bad, but obviously not no. very real. But, you know. I, I think... Rihanna was brilliant. I, I, you know, this is <laughs> the second movie we've seen Rihanna in. Do you know that? You remember, I didn't know that. Remember the I've first one? Conveniently, yeah. she was in Valerian. She was in Valerian, yeah. right? Yeah. I think she's great. I think she's a great actress, and she's really feisty. She's fierce. I loved her in this. Uh, Taylor Kitsch doesn't. His career doesn't really take off as after this, does it? No, that's no. his problem here. Perhaps, perhaps Battleship was his problem. Liam Neeson doesn't suffer much, despite you know, despite the what is he doing in this question mark? <laughs> so yeah, are we ready to score it? For sure. Yeah. Okay. What do you think about the plot? <laughs> I mean, it's it, it, you know they work really hard. The bit that I don't like is how science and scientists come off. In this whole thing, you know, you could arguably blame them for excitedly sending a signal out, doing it in the wrong way, getting all of the science yeah. wrong, by the way. Um, and yeah, they portray the science guy as a, you know, a bit of a 
nerdy geek. Although he does come good at the end, doesn't he? I think he whacks one of them with a... He learns his bravery by mixing with Navy types. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to learn about it. And it is objectionable, isn't it? It is. For me, the plot, you know, well done for shoehorning everything about Battleships (laughs) the game in here. Uh, You know, peg in a square hole kind of stuff. Well done. It does feel forced as a result. But the plot is just enjoyably bonkers. I have to score it a six. It's a six. You're right. That's where it sits. It's a six. It... Suits the whole ambiance of the film. How's about the acting? And maybe we can include some of the dialogue for consideration here. Well, uh, you know, like I said, loving Rihanna's work. And, you know, you know, there are definitely moments here of uh, real kind of uh, pathos and stuff, aren't there? And heroism. I think uh, Taylor does an okay job. Um, and Liam Neeson is suitably stoic. Yeah, I'll give it a seven. You're not so generous, Paul, mm. I can see. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not so generous, really. Uh, I don't know if I can blame the actors or, or the lines that they've given. I'm going to have to score it a five and a half for acting. Huh. What what took it out of you, then? Or took you out of it? Well, j- just the fact that there is no character development at all, really. Oh, come on. Like, Alex well, he, he, I mean, starts well, off, Alex as, starts off as, as a wastrel, but we don't see how he becomes <laughs> this clean-cut Lieutenant. I would have liked to have seen that transformation under his brother's tutelage and direction. Well, he does it through his brother's death, doesn't he? In fact, his brother had to die for Alex Yeah, that pivotal moment of him maturing, you know, realising this these these aliens, these unreal aliens are real oh shit real man. Oh wow. <laughs> you know, that moment where he, oh it's all real, well it's not real obviously, but uh, that should have been much more profound than it was. And he was it, uh, Paul. But he, we couldn't because we were racing along. He realized uh, on deck he realized uh, he, he was the commanding officer, he was the ranking officer, he had to take charge, he had to take over. Step up to the mantle, yeah. Absolutely. Step up to the line. Yeah, but I mean pff- there should have been some profundity in there should have been self-reflection in front of a shaving mirror and there wasn't you know and it should have been a moment for him to sho- showcase some acting skills which he didn't get to do so yeah 5.5 what did you score it Rich? I, I gave it a 7, seven. didn't I for acting okay. okay we have to get to SFX and CGI and whatnot. Mm, I mean passable I'll give it a 6 but I love the SFX I'm going to go 8.5 oh my god my- <laughs> for 2012 I thought this was much better than fucking Transformers turning into bloody bloody lorries. Oh, listen, th- I would watch this, this over was, Transformers this any was, day. This I, was yeah, the CGI was agree. so ambitious here. It was really ambitious. I much prefer this over Transformers. Yeah, quite unquestionably. But I was never, 8.5. I was never a Transformers fan. Although I was nearly turned around when I saw, I, I don't know, about 10, 12 years ago, I saw a, a proper Transformers toy. And I don't think it a because presumably, they're big, aren't they? They must hey? have been very, very expensive. Because they were hellish. It was the most amazingly articulated thing, and really amazingly done. You know, transformed from a, like a, a a Miata, you know, an M, a Toyota M5 or whatever they are, to a proper robot. Amazing, really amazing. Yeah. My mate, not my mate, somebody in the year below me at primary school had the Millennium Falcon, like in seventy. I had the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. That was 30 quid at the time, wasn't it, Richard? It was expensive, yeah. I had to save up a lot of Christmases to get that, yeah. <laughs> wow. No, uh, yeah. Did you keep it? Because they must be worth thousands today. I did not you know, keep it. Pr- um, so, that's the... And the science. Do we do the science? Science is not good, is it? 
this is it, Abby. I do enjoy the bad signs that you don't. I, I guess we have to be serious about this and say, look, it's not really acceptable it gets to, almost everything to produce wrong. a $200 million budget movie and not get an advisor on. There um, was an advisor. Know, there's credible science. There's some special science advisory group that helps out on movies that helped with this. But they got well, they almost everything wrong. And they insulted scientists to boot. So I've got to give it a four. Four. Oh, and the, he's got the, same the only reason I'm giving it as high as that is because he did at least see like the difference in tech between the modern destroyer and the old battleship, which is cute. Overall, then, Paul. Final score six. It's a recommend, and it's fun. I'd give it a seven. I, I, I would go higher than that. It, this is genuinely good, like Christmas Day movie that would get Granny and Grandad cheering for the old ship. Uh, and everyone excited. <laughs> it's just a good bit of fun. Yeah. Those boomers turned out all right in the end, didn't they? Look, okay, Richard, we have to hop on to next week. And are you giving me suggestions or am I giving you suggestions? Well, you've got the whiteboard. Okay, I'm going to give you three or maybe four suggestions. Uh, Moonfall. Moonfall. Which is something I wanted to watch. Okay. It was in the cinema. It's now on streaming services. Yeah. Uh, Profundo Rosso, which you've seen and I will see. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Candyland. Uh, Veritable Jordan Peele. New movie. He's got a new movie coming out called Nope. Before that comes out, we should preview Candyland from a few years ago. And four, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, or whatever it's called, which I've put, I put up for your choice. You're choosing maybe twice now. But I've kind of got off it myself. <laughs> Not, don't influence your decision here. Listen. Okay. okay. Oh, you've chosen, it sounds like. Uh, well, I'm just going to say, right. If we do, if we do Moonfall, we're in for more of the same, aren't we? We're in for, yeah, critiquing Roland Emmerich and his crackers' ideas about how the world yeah. end, and we're, I love it. The physics you is going obviously. to be all wrong. So if you, I know, but if you're up for like more of that, Paul, let's do it. Let's do Moonfall. Let's do it. Let's do Moonfall. Let's do it. Moonfall. I love you, Richard. Oh, you've really made my day. You've made my week there. Okay, satellite so. of love. Saddle up for Moonfall next week. I don't know what it's going to be about. Yes, you do. But don't, don't <laughs> the, look, yes, you do. The clue is in the name of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so join us next week for, what is it? Episode three? It's episode, episode three? three of series. Of series three. three. Until then, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Ciao for now. See you in the next one. <laughs>